This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. morning. Thank you for joining us on Resource Centre. This is Audrey Raj. It's the 1st of June, the first Tuesday of the month, also the first day of our full lockdown. And organisational psychologist and CEO of Osai Ketel Doshi is with me for another episode of Psychology at Work. Ketel, good morning. I assume you two are patching in for this from home? Yes, I am. Thanks, Audrey, for having me again. Now, uh, on the show today, we're going to be discussing something that will affect, apparently will affect more than half of us at some point of our lives, the Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome. And of course, the stats differ depending on which study you refer to, but it can be quite common, especially in the entrepreneurship and leadership circle. Right, Hazel? It is, it is definitely. It's become one of the most talked about syndromes of sorts, Mm. um, psychological syndromes in the past uh, couple of years. But it's been coined back all the way to 1978. So looking forward to having a real wonderful discussion around this today. Okay, so just to kick things off, uh, what Mm -hmm. is the imposter syndrome? So the imposter syndrome, um, you know, was first coined somewhere in, you know, 1978 of sorts, but a little bit later on, um, a psychologist named Joan Harvey uh, recognized that there are three major symptoms that you should exhibit if you were to classify yourself as having the imposter syndrome. So okay. these three things would be like, first and foremost, a sense of having fooled other people into overestimating your ability. So you feel like you fooled other people um, Mm. into overestimating your ability. That's number one. Number two, you tend to attribute your success to some other factor other than intelligence or ability, mostly associated with uh, luck. So Mm. you feel like the reason why you're uh, successful today is because of luck or opportunities, but nothing really um, that you had worked for or inherently have. And the third thing um, that you would experience is a constant fear that you would be exposed as a fraud very soon. Mm. So these are the three things uh, that you would need to experience in order to say that, yes, I am experiencing the imposter syndrome. So the imposter syndrome is also sometimes mistaken uh, for other things like uh, a, a lack of confidence or, or you're just, you just don't believe in yourself. Uh, is that accurate? You know, is there a way for us to, to know if you're not experiencing the imposter syndrome? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's really good because people, this is a really good question. People tend to ask this one, you know, one or two questions, which is um, how do I dis distinguish or create a you know, distinct understanding between low self-esteem versus the imposter syndrome? Mm. And how do I understand that this is the imposter syndrome and maybe not nervousness? So I'll just go through one at a time what imposter syndrome isn't, yeah? Okay. So it has nothing to do with low self-esteem. Low self-esteem typically is something that is very pervasive across all experiences of your life, whereas imposter syndrome is very specific to an achievement that you have or a certain situation that you are in. So, for example, I know someone uh, who is, um, you know, who grew up as a, as a, you know, as being diagnosed as dyslexic. Um, 
you know, typically wasn't really thought to have been someone who could be successful in their later stages of their career, but somehow did really well um, through a lot of his own hard work. Um, and although he feels really, really good about his life in general, he does feel that he has the imposter syndrome. So oh, the distinctness is that he does have a high, high level of self-esteem about himself. Mm. But the reason why he feels that he's an imposter is very specific to the achievement that he has today. Mm. So um, imposter syndrome is very much related to specific achievements. So this guy now has his own PhD. He's been writing some of the top journals in um, you know, the, 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 the space of human resources. He's amazing. Um, he's got high self-esteem, but he has self uh, uh, imposter syndrome. And the imposter syndrome is something that is not pervasive, is very specific to abilities and achievement only. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. I, I, I kind of yeah. get it. Yeah. yeah. So it, it could be very specific. specific. Exactly. And it's all, imposter syndrome is always specific to achievement or accomplishments. Mm. And in a very specific area of your life, but not pervasive. So you probably might know some people who are generally uh, experiencing low self-esteem across all areas of their lives. That's completely different. Okay. Now, um, are there characteristics that you can point out when it comes to the imposter syndrome? Like, what are the characteristics uh, if you have it? Yeah. So, as mentioned earlier, the first thing would be that, you know, the imposter cycle begins with accomplishment. Mm -hmm. You accomplish something and that's when the cycle begins. You're like, okay. oh my God, I didn't deserve that. That was because of luck. And success tends to sometimes breed more success. Mm. And as you continue to be more successful, you're like, how did I become successful in this? Right. So um, it starts off with you uh, looking at other people who are very successful, realizing that that is going to be impossible. And you're like, how did I end up in the same place as these people? Mm. Um, the other thing is also the need to be the very best. So typically imposters or people who feel like they're imposters tend to have this one statement in their minds, which is, if I am not the best, then I am not atypical, and therefore I'm stupid. Ah, okay, that's a bit extreme. It is. Um, so typically, you would have very high achievement-oriented individuals who would say that if I'm not the best, then I'm not different from everybody else, and therefore I am stupid. So the word stupid, dumb, is a very, very common phenomena and a very, you know, a, it's a dichotomy. It's either I am the best or I am stupid. There is no such thing as second best for them. And that's a characteristic and a need for them to fulfill in their lives. Now, note that uh, if you're an employer, you probably want to hire a lot of imposters or people who <laughs> feel that they're imposters because they would be killing themselves every day for you or to be able to get that kind of an approval. Uh, the third thing would be uh, the Superman or the Superwoman um, syndrome. Mm -hmm. And this is basically this feeling because they work so hard to constantly have this experience of achievement that they, there is this belief that happiness can only be achieved when you, ach when you accomplish the impossible. Mm -hmm. So happiness is typically a byproduct of working like crazy and so suffering is a very, very important part of uh, lead up to happiness. Mm. And so I do get many clients today as we talk about mental health. I have very high performing clients like tech companies, for example, that hire the creme de la creme. 
um, they tell me like, Hetal, year after year, our well-being scores have been very low, even though we have done every single thing possible to create the best environment for our people. Mm-hmm. They are performing very well. Sales targets are high. KPI is very high. Well-being scores are extremely low and they look like they are really suffering. Mm. And I say that is a typical profile of imposter syndromes or profiles of imposters that you have gotten. And so now mental health initiatives are not going to work on them. It is something much deeper that you need to look into and typically family of origin, you know, the lives that they've led. They don't care about happiness. (laughs) They do feel that happiness is a byproduct suffering is important for them okay yeah, there, there are a few others but these are these are some of the major characteristics that you'd want to or that they would be experiencing uh the third thing would be you know i mean the fourth thing sorry would be that they will never uh allow praise to seep into the skin or their bones hmm. so i've heard many clients in the past where i offer them positive feedback um and there is absolute silence there's no thank you. There is no rebutting it. They just don't, uh, it just doesn't go into their system. Hmm. And they feel that you're being fake about it and that you're probably saying it to suck up to them, but they just don't believe that anything good about positive feedback belongs to them. Um, so it's really, it's really quite a strange and painful uh, syndrome or experience to be having. Okay. What about guilt? Um, is there an element of guilt in the imposter syndrome? Yeah. Just curious. There, there is, um, yeah, and I'm curious to know, are you curious about it as well? <laughs> <laughs> um, so they feel quite guilty because typically they may have been a, one of the very few who have achieved it. Mm-hmm. And so they feel that, um, you know, it's this survivor syndrome of sorts that everybody else wasn't able to get it, but they were. And because they have received this area of success, of accomplishment, they feel then they might be rejected by their friends and their family who may have been also working very hard, but because of their stroke of luck, they got it. Mm. Inverted common stroke of luck. Um, There is also a lot of anxiety that their luck, because a lot of it is associated in their minds that this is luck, there's a lot of anxiety around the fact that their luck might run out. And so you would feel, you would also see that uh, people who experience imposter syndromes would believe a lot in things like feng shui, in things like energetic bracelets, to try and keep as much of that energetic power or prowess uh, within their, you know, to extend the time frame of that luck for as long as they can as well. Mm. Um, So, yeah. All right. Uh, okay. It's already time for us to take a quick break. But when we come back, we discuss the different types of imposters and how to break out of the imposter mindset. You are listening to Resource Center, BFM 89.9. Bring forth Malaysia. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
You're listening to Resource Center. Hey, this is Audrey Raj, organizational psychologist and CEO of Osai. Hazel Doshi is online with me right now. It's episode three of a new series we're working on here on Resource Center, focused on psychology at work. And on this episode, we're breaking down the imposter syndrome. Getting back to what we were discussing just before the break, um, is there a way? to measure the imposter syndrome? Yes, and I think everyone should probably uh, take up the uh, uh, measuring format of it, which is uh, a survey or a scale that you can use because uh, this word is being thrown around a lot these days. So it's best to just test it out for yourself. And um, it's, it's no big deal. I mean, I think you just you know test it out and then work on it. Uh, if you test it out and you realize your score is very high, don't worry too much about it. There's always something that you can do about it, yeah? So, um, you, you know, you could just easily go online. And it's a free tool. I believe it's a free tool called the Clance Imposter Syndrome Self-Assessment Tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Clance, C-L-A-N-C-E. Um, and some of the items include, I'm so just going to read you out a couple, yeah? I have often succeeded on a test or task, even though I was afraid that I would not do well before I undertook the task. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of people before taking a task, they're like, oh, I'm not going to do well. I'm not going to do well. And then, yeah, they do excellently after that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Another sentence is, I can give the impression that I'm more competent than I really am. Mm -hmm. So in psychology, we have the high extroversion, typically the very charismatic people, high, you know, um, know, we call it the influencing style typically very charming and so sometimes they do give the impression that they are more competent than they really that they really are and or they feel that way and sometimes they really they really do give the impression and they're really not so just go check it out okay okay <laughs> that's why when we do interviewing skills training we often tell and remind people of the biasness that can take place with individuals who are very very good at forming positive impressions very quickly Okay. Are there? Could you give us a little bit uh, more from the the Clance Imposter uh, test? Sure. So then the the third one would be I avoid evaluations if possible, and I have a dread of others evaluating me. So that idea of being judged, and typically for positive feedback. When people praise me for something I've accomplished, I'm afraid I won't be able to live up to their expectations of me in the future. So that feeling of dread already begins when somebody says you did a good job. It's crazy, right? Mm. Um, yeah. So, you know, as an as a employee or as a manager, imagine if you think that you're offering praise, but actually creating a feeling of dread and gloom uh, by not understanding that your subordinate uh, or team member is experiencing the imposter syndrome. So you're actually triggering something else altogether when you're hoping to trigger, you know, some kind of motivation of sorts. Uh, and the last one could be, I sometimes think I obtained my present position or gained my present success because I happen to be at the right place at the right time or knew the right people. Right. Wow, I'm really feeling the heat today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I, I'm not sure if, if there are studies to show this, but um, do we know if the imposter syndrome is more prevalent in, in females or males? Is there a gender disparity when it comes to the imposter syndrome? Yes. So, um, uh, you know, back in the days, like 1978, when, when this whole uh, idea of the imposter syndrome started, um, it really felt like it was more a uh, uh, an experience that successful career women had, mm. right? And that was the typical profile or demographic of of, of uh, human beings that experienced the imposter syndrome. Uh, women who had successful careers. 
However, subsequently, um, as recent as you know, 2016 and and beyond all of that, um, there you know a couple of researchers uh, in the names of Sonia at L who have found that this is an equal equal opportunity condition, meaning that this is a place where there is an opportunity for everybody to be experiencing it these days. Mm. And even more so, as recent as 2018, uh, Rebecca Badawi and her colleagues found that, in fact, the imposter syndrome may hit men harder than women these days, triggering, triggering more anxiety and worse performance uh, because of the traditional gender role expectations that men should be a lot more competent uh, because they have been in the field for a far longer time. Right. And so there was a particular study that was done that two groups of men, for example, were split. One group of them, um, they, they had to do a test and uh, they were told that their test results will be showed to a stranger. In that case, they were fine. They didn't really care about it. And even if they failed in the test, they still continued to try hard. But in the separate condition, they, they, were, they completed a test and they were told that the test results would go to a very competent professor who would be looking at their scores. And we call this a high accountability group because now you have to be very accountable. It's no longer a stranger. Somebody is looking at you. In those cases, when they were told that they failed and they were asked to repeat the test, because they felt judged by another male counterpart and they felt that they were, because as men, you should be a lot more competent in the space of, you know, career, the workplace, uh, certain, certain professions or subjects like mathematics or whatever or not. Because of that experience, they didn't even bother trying to do, to do the next test after mm. they failed. Mm. So men actually experience extremely, compared to women, high levels of hopelessness when they are judged by another typically male um, uh, and potentially competent person uh, where they need to, f- need, need to be manning up and very accountable to it. Whereas women felt that, oh, because uh, you know, the career space is not really a space where women are completely flourishing at yet, if I'm told that I didn't do well by a very competent person, it's okay, I'm going to try harder again. Mm. And so the imposter syndrome has become something what we uh, what we call as the equal opportunity condition where it coexists in men and women, but really depending in spaces where we are gender rolled to be expected to be competent in certain areas in our lives. So it's quite fascinating. It really is yes. very fascinating. Yeah. Now, Hetel, you alluded to this uh, earlier before the break, but do we have any idea where these feelings come from, these fraudulent feelings? Why do we feel this way about ourselves? Do we yeah. have any idea where, where it's coming from? So typically it would be the entering of a new domain, right? So it's the, you've never experienced this in your life and for the first time in your life you're experiencing it and you end up being reasonably or experiencing unexpected success. Uh, so it's an unfamiliar or new position, and and as a result of that, you're you're not expecting high levels of success, but there is unexpected success. Success. So I remember when I was first, you know, when I first started out as a psychologist, you know, the first um, first few years of my life was all grand, and I remember there was once where a particular client there was a massive, massive opportunity, uh, you know, tens of thousands of people that we would be impacting, and they, you know, out of many, many other potential vendors, 
the the president of the organization said, I believe in you, Hetel, and I would like you to um, you know, partner with us and you know, take our organization to greater levels of height. And, I, and he said, what can you do for us? And I said, I don't know. And apparently, he loved that answer so much. And he gave me the job because I said, I don't know, compared to other people. But mm. this is me saying, I don't know, really feeling that I don't know. Yeah. And within the first year, we were extremely successful, extremely successful. And, and I knew that I was an imposter. I knew that I was an imposter because there were people who had been in this industry for many, many, many years. And I didn't know what made me successful. But there are many people who do really well in, in the space of entering a new domain. But it's just, it just feels like, oh my God, how did I, how was I able to do it? Hmm. Um, but the thing about entering a new domain is that it's never really a new domain, is it? We've yeah. had many, many skills that we've accumulated across the period of our time in our lives. And it compounds in very mystical and magical areas and it manifests in a new domain. So it's not like you have to be extremely skilled in a new domain. It's just that sometimes, you know, life uh, allows you to uh, get into the right space where all of these skills compound and it presents itself and you do well. So yeah. entering the new domain is definitely one. Parentification, um, Audrey, is a very interesting phenomena and the birthplace of imposter syndrome. So I'd really like to talk a little bit about this concept of parentification that was termed by, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrongly, but Bozor Meni Nagi and Spark in 1973. It's a problematic family dynamic in which the parent and child roles are reversed. So have you, you know, ever seen a, a situation where a child grows up too quickly and often in, ends up having to look after the parent? Mm. So as a child, you feel like you're not adult enough to do these tasks and there's a massive struggle with inadequacy of being able to get a job done or perform the role but actually you're doing it better than your own parent so then you often ask yourself like okay am I an imposter because I am a child but then I took on the role of a parent and I'm not supposed to have done well but I did well and so what does that even mean for me in my life so you begin to question whether are you really competent because that wasn't your role to begin with Right, right. Um, the third one, I think, you know, uh, there, there are quite a few, but, you know, this third one is a very, very powerful one for the world that we are living in now. It's called parental overprotection, right? So when parents protect their children so much, their predictions of imposter scores go higher because the parents have always been doing everything for them. So how in the world did I suddenly become successful? Because my parents have always been doing everything for me. Right. And on the contrary, coexisting with overprotection of parents is the lack of uh, care from parents also gives you imposter syndrome. So parenting, you know, finding that balance of having your child being put in a very, in a safe space of sorts to be able to make a decision for themselves that their achievement belongs to them is a very, very important phenomena. And it shouldn't be interjected with unnecessary rewards or recognition. Mm. It should just be owned by them and them only. And they should know that they did it on their own uh, for themselves, not because of the parents or by their parents or whatever not. So, Owning your sense of achievement and knowing that it was you who did it and only you of sorts, of course, you know, no man is an island, is a very, very important thing. Um, and of course, there are many other things like family values, the nicknames and labels that you're given, mixed messages, you know, from parents, a perfectionistic 
personality and unconscious cycles of self-doubt, some of these other things also, um, you know, trigger these um, syndromes. But here's the good news. Mm. I know many psychologists call it the imposter syndrome. I would like to completely banish the syndrome idea. It's just an experience. Right. It's an experience that you're having because it's not pervasive. It's not serious. It's not across the rest of your life. It's just an experience that you're having because of a particular experience that you had. And so now you can go back into it and create a new experience for yourself. So, yeah, it's not something to be overly worried about, but definitely something to tap into and, you know, find a new birthplace of uh, growth for yourself and understanding that you are, you actually did well. You actually did well for something that you didn't expect to do well in. So is that how you kind of break out of the the cycle? You know, just just get rid of that imposter mindset. Is is that the way forward? Oh, that's that's a really good segue into it. I think number one, normalizing it, right? So if you see that, uh, you know, more than fifty percent of people would be experiencing it, then it's normal. Yeah, <laughs> if you're not yeah. experiencing it, you could not be so normal, or you may not even realize that you're going through it, right? So one way to normalize it is to look at people. So this is a really interesting thing. It might sound a little bit dirty, literally. Okay. But a philosopher named Mon- Montaigne, if I'm correct, if I'm saying it correctly, in the 16th century, he attempted to normalize human beings when he playfully wrote um, that kings and philosophies, philosophers also poop. And so do ladies. Mm. And what this really means is that all of us, in essence, you know, we all poop, no matter how beautiful we look. Uh, all of us, you know, have a very uh, ugly, um, you know, crude idea, expression of our digestive systems of sorts. Yeah. And so, you know, all of us go through these madness in our heads of self-doubt and anxiety, all of us. So I think the best way to think about it is who doesn't have these experiences of self-doubt? Who doesn't? And isn't it the human condition then to, you know, ha- enjoy conversations, make fun of it a little bit and... You know, in you know, I'm not saying okay, make fun of it, but understand that if it is so normal, then you know, try to look at a little bit into the humor of it, and say okay, so what do we do about it now? Of course, the second thing would be education, right? People who experience it often um, mistake being inexperienced with being unqualified, so they feel that they are not qualified. But actually, you know, education can teach you that qualifications, uh, you don't get to be qualified just through education you get to be qualified through a lot of experiences that you have and so education that you are great regardless of training or education itself um is is a very valuable tool because you know you know people like my grandfather they without any education without internet they created empires from india traveling all the way to malaysia without knowing anything at all they created an empire so it's not education but a lot of us feel that we should have been trained we should have been educated and only then we can be successful, but that's completely untrue. Yeah. Right. I think also connecting with mentors. So I think, you know, Audrey, if you connect with mentors, you know, who have you know preceded you of sorts, they would have had the same experiences that you are currently having. I think also finding a name for the feelings that we have, knowing the terminology. So once you pin down this ghost that exists in the darkness of your thoughts, you pin it down and you draw it out and you have a chat with it, it doesn't feel like such a scary concept anymore. Yeah. It actually feels quite liberating. It actually feels like, oh, wow, this is part of a hu- you know what it means to be human. This is the human condition. 
And I bet you, once you pin down this ghost that you're experiencing, your next growth will be as a philosopher or a, or a poet. <laughs> you really then begin to understand that uh, the human phenomena is actually extremely poetic. It is very poetic. Uh, I think also, you know, um, if you're really, really experiencing the imposter syndrome to the point where, you know, it is becoming pervasive across other parts of your life. So meaning you didn't have low self-esteem, but you had the imposter syndrome and it became so pervasive that then now you experience low self-esteem across all areas of your life. Mm. Uh, then definitely seek professional help. Um, also allow time, you know, you know this, this old adage that time heals all wounds. Allow time to... You know, allow time to bring you the wisdom to realize that uh, not everything is about being completely in control. Sometimes life manifests greatness in you and through you. And it is not luck. It is you just being immersed in something and knowing and caring so much about something that suddenly you're great at it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think these are some of the things that you could definitely do. And I would definitely recommend that enjoy this process of, really, really knowing yourself um, in the spaces that are completely unknown and new for you. And if this isn't, you know, something worth exploring in COVID times, because we don't have the passports to travel across countries, yeah. you have full passport to travel within yourself. Um, so yeah, you know, really enjoy this, this journey within. Right. And on that note, uh, I just want to thank you again, Hazel, for bringing your A-game to our show, you know, like you always do. Uh, and if our listeners are keen to learn more about what you do at OSAIC and how you help organizations, you know, what's the website to go to? Um, so we have a very funky new website. Uh, we're very, very happy to, you know, boast this one out loud. It's www.o psych.com. But as most of you know, I am, um, you know, a big friend of LinkedIn. And if anybody needs anything at all, uh, please just feel free to send, you know, just, just send a message straight away. I'm more than happy to have a chat. And also, you know, a big thanks and shout out to BFM and you, Audrey, as well. Um, in the past few months that we've been doing these podcasts with uh, BFM, I've had so many people, um, you know, just feeling free and comfortable to have a chat with me. And I'm so glad that we've had because of BFM, we've had a lot of people who, you know, even wanted to take their lives and chose not to after they reached out and we had wonderful random late night conversations and you're feeling much better. So reach out for help. There's always someone who is going to be able to help and don't worry about whether or not we have time. We're all here for each other. And I think that's the best part of uh, this funny experience called COVID. Yeah, exactly. Thank you again, Hetel. Now, if you missed out on any part of this show, I would like to catch up on some of the other episodes that we've done with Hetel on Psychology at Work. You can go look for the podcast on our website, bfm.my, also on the BFM app that's available on the Apple App Store and on Google Play. Hetel will be back again with me same time next month. But uh, till then, I will see you again next week on Resource Centre, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.